I want to welcome you back this evening as we go through God's amazing grace. And I always give the short intro, <clears throat> knowing that many of you attend on Sunday nights, but there's always maybe a few that perhaps aren't familiar with what we're doing. Essentially going through some stories of the Bible that you know and looking for how God provided an unmerited gift. Tonight we're going to talk about a little bit of a different gift. And... Uh, <clears throat> It's a gift you may not think of in that way. You may not think of it upon receiving it as a gift in and of itself. When was the last time you were tested in your faith? <clears throat> as we talked about this morning, the relationship with God is a lifelong, it's meant to be a lifelong thing. And as we go in that relationship, I believe there are times of testing when God wants to see the genuineness and, and look at the quality of your faith and your trust in Him. I've had different testing moments over my life. Uh, the one that I'll share happened when I was sitting where you are. I was uh, only 14 or 15, and I was still very new to faith. I hadn't been a Christian very long. And we were talking about giving and that was just what we were, what the minister had been preaching about. And I hadn't gotten onto this idea of, you know, purposing ahead. I, you know, didn't always have money week to week. But that week I did. And when it came time for the offering, I opened my wallet. And this was the moment. So in your mind's eye, I want you to picture a wallet with a $20 bill in it. Okay, now that $20 bill, at that time in my life... Uh, represented a week's worth of gas. It represented maybe a couple of meals. It, <clears throat> it represented some things that I wanted and needed. And have iTunes back in those days. Sorry, it was an ancient time. Um, but if I wanted to, I could go buy an entire CD. I had to buy, you know, it wasn't just one song, it was all of them. But th that $20 represented a lot of things that I could do, things that I wanted and needed. In that moment, because there was only the $20 bill, I had to choose whether or not I believed the promise of Jesus in Acts 20.35 that it's more blessed to give than to receive. I remember sitting there kind of staring at it, kind of wondering, what do I do? It's very much all or nothing kind of moment. And in a similar way, but to a much greater degree, tonight's story is an all or nothing moment. You're going to have those moments in your life too. Uh, so I can finish the story, because I know you all are wondering about the spiritual life of 13-year-old Toby. I put the whole 20 in. Now, as I did that, I can't say honestly that I did it in full confidence. Yes, Lord, I believe. <laughs> it was just simple, trusting faith. I don't know how I was going to put gas in my tank that week. But... After church, uh, I was sitting with the youth group, and I, I went and talked to my grandmother. And just so happened that Sunday, Grandma said, as sometimes she was prone to do, she would just grab my hand, and in her hand was something. It was a $50 bill. And as she would say, she would look at me and wink, and she'd say, let's just keep this between us. Now, I knew it was a just-between-us thing, like between me and Grandma. 
But in that moment, I thought it was God winking through my grandma. That he knew that I had chosen to trust him as a, as a young teenager in just that moment. Not every test that I've had in my life have I come through with such flying colors. But when we go through moments of testing, we have an opportunity, not so much to show who we are, but to learn who God is. Turn to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 8, where we will be for tonight's story that I'm sure you are familiar with. But because I believe the power and efficacy of change and direction in our lives comes from the Spirit-inspired, God-breathed Word, I hope that you are turning there or scrolling there. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, reading from the English Standard Version, reads this way. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, I believe after a few long, drawn-out seconds or minutes, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went on, both of them, together. First thing I want to bring to your attention is that Abraham was available to God's call. In the beginning, after these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. In that moment, <clears throat> uh, Abraham said this to his Lord, but he also said this later in the story to Isaac. This is a, a common refrain from people of faith. It's more than just a greeting. It's a way of saying, I'm fully present. I'm, I'm here. I hear you. I'm listening. I'm engaged. Moses had a similar experience in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. When God called him, when the, most, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to the bush, Moses... Moses, and he said, here I am. Prophet Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 4, the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. And probably the best known one is Isaiah. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, 
here am I. Send me. Availability means that we open ourselves to God, to immediate, obedient faith, to God's holy interruptions. Have you had a holy interruption in your life lately? They're good for you, especially for us type A's. We really have, like to have a plan. We like to, have, we to know exactly where the day's going, where the week's going. Got maybe the 10-year plan, which is obnoxious as it is humorous. And I think God especially likes to mess with us who try to exert some semblance of control in our lives and in this world. Control that belongs alone to God. I'm not sure how he's interrupted your world, but I hope that he does. I hope that you had a plan for the day and it's completely scrapped because of what God wanted you to do in the life of someone else, in someone, in, in the, uh, with someone you're close to, perhaps with a perfect stranger. But I hope in that moment of, a, of God's holy interruption that you're available, that you respond with, here I am. We don't have, we don't have a culture that much anymore is, seems able to stop and pause and reflect and open ourselves and be available. I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. And My inward response is, well, whose fault is that? You make the choices about how available you are. Abraham did. Moses did. Isaiah did. They had to choose in that moment to be available to God's calling. In this moment, this holy interruption in Abraham's life was a test. After these things, God tested Abraham. This, this word may give us a little bit of pause, maybe a little bit of worry. Does God really test us? I like what the one comedian said. Uh, he said, God, I know that you're testing me, but maybe you forget I'm only a C student. What is this idea of testing? James chapter 1, verse 12 and following says this in regard to the idea of a test. Now, you understand that the test is not a temptation. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God does not tempt anyone. He may test you. And, and you need to understand the quality of that test there is not, it's not about God saying, Okay, I've got this thing in mind. It, is Carl Berg going to mess up today? <laughs> Will he pass my test? No, 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 no. In, in that holy, interruptive moment, God's using it to see, to, to test the quality of your relationship and your faith and your trust in Him. Why does God test us? Shouldn't He just love us? Shouldn't He just accept us as we are? I mean, good grief, life is hard enough, and I got God up there trying to test me? Now, listen. The best way I can explain this is to ask you the question, especially if you have children, why, why do your teachers, why do your teachers test our children? Why do they give you tests? I'm looking at Hallie over there. Okay. Why do they give you tests? Huh? Yeah, see, gotcha. 
Why, do, why does God test you? Because your, your professors don't like you? Is that why they... Yeah. Correct, they do not like you. Okay, because your teachers don't... That's why they give you tests, right? Your teachers wake up in the morning and they're thinking, how can we get them to fail this class? You know, of course not. Teachers love their students, or they should. The good ones do. The good ones love their students. They want the best for the students, and they need, they need to know if their students are getting it, if, they're, if they've made enough progress to go to the next level. Um, the same reason you probably have to be accredited or licensed in some respect to do certain jobs. People need to know if you have the skills to pay the bills. To ensure that you understand what you need to understand and that you're ready for the next level of faith in your life. Peter also explains this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and following. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know if God specifically will test you. He likely will, but certainly he did Abraham, and he did it in one of the ways I can hardly wrap my earthly mind around. He tested him using his only son, who he loved very much. And knowing what God had in mind... And even after hearing what the challenge was, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go and offer him as a burnt offering. Abraham was still able to say, here I am. He For people of faith... We understand that this in a, the perspective of a steward, that everything, everything I have, and everyone who's placed in my life is not mine. Everything that I have and that you have is from Him. And so, everything that you have and everyone that you love could potentially be used for Him, for His glory, for His purposes, for His reasons. It's hard for me to put myself in Abraham's position and imagine passing the test. But obedient he was to God's word and to God's call. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He didn't argue, he didn't beg, he didn't plead, he didn't study, he didn't question, he didn't whine, he didn't complain. He simply obeyed. He went and he did what God had called him to do. There's that, that gap between the knowing and the doing. And for people of faith, that gap is real, real, real small. Even if they don't know, even if they don't fully understand, even if they, they're unsure, even if they have doubts, there's, there's just a very 
infinitely minuscule, in Abraham's case, gap between what he knew he had to do and what he did. He didn't talk it over with Sarah. He didn't stew on it. He didn't wonder about it. He obeyed. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I command. Which is the same application that we have. Of course, it's not the same situation that Abraham had, but we have to choose whether or not we're going to obey. You think about this. It's a two- to three-day trip, depending on how fast you walk and how fast your donkey is, I guess, to get from Beersheba to Moriah. Two to three long days that Abraham had time to reflect and wonder and question and doubt and let that little train just go round and round and round in his head. But he never, he never wavered from obedience. The writer of Hebrews explained uh, possibly what he was thinking. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. It was more than just the heart. I mean, we, as a parent, we identify offering up your only son, any child. I mean, that's it's just something you don't even want to have to think about. But it was more than just Isaac. Isaac wasn't just any, any common son. He was the son, as we talked about last week, of promise. God was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham through Isaac. That whole stars in the heavens, sands on the shores, all of that. What's happening here? Is God not going to keep or fulfill his promise? Verse 19 of Hebrews 11 says... He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him, receive him back. Abraham had watched God fulfill his promises, and he totally trusted that he could and would do it again. That fulfillment of a promise... In that moment where he promised a hundred-year-old man that he was going to have a son, in that moment when they laughed and they named their baby boy Isaac, because they're just like, I don't know what God's doing. I don't, can't explain how he's going to do it. But he did it. And in this moment, Abraham goes back, I think. If God needs to raise my boy from the dead, he'll do it. I love that faith. And, and just one other point here on Hebrews 11. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You have to think about this. This one goes a little bit deeper. This is a Sunday night thought. But in his mind, Abraham had to kill Isaac before he killed Isaac. Because mm. that's, that's obedience. He had to be committed to doing it. Oh, man. Whew. 
James 2 verse 20 says. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. It's such a strange thing to me. In the, in the religious world especially, we've got this sort of faith-only crowd and works-only crowd. And the Bible says neither of those two things. It says true, trusting, obedient faith is inextricably tied to works, to actions, to what you do about it. To say, I believe in Jesus, to say, I accept Jesus, to say, any of that is meaningless if you don't do what Jesus said to do. It, and it's not earning your righteousness. It's not any of that. It's, it's a simple response, much in the same way Abraham responded. Was Abraham earning his righteousness? Listen, if, if, if I could make a stack of religious good works, sacrificing my only son because God told me to do it, I would think that weighs pretty heavy. Abraham didn't view it as earning anything. He was simply doing what God told him to do in the moment. And when he always offered the moment, the holy interruption, he didn't waver. He went. And this leads us to the next observation. You'll excuse me. Abraham's actions got me all worked up here. Abraham was sacrificial in worship. Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Offering his only son back to the Lord. Most would see that as a loss. Certainly as a test. Abraham just... Hard as it was, it's what you do when you worship God. You offer something. You leave part of something that's yours. You offer that in faith to God. Which reminds us, and I know it was a different covenant and all of that, but worship was not now, then, or nor is it now, ever, about us. But what we want, about what makes us feel good, it's about what, what the Lord wants and what makes Him feel good. Now, I, don't misunderstand. I think we benefit. I think we'll be encouraged and all that. But the first priority in worship is the pleasing, the joy of the Lord. And a far second, way, way down there, is even a second benefit is not even about you. It's to build up others, to give courage to up your brothers and sisters in Christ. Abraham had skin in his worship. There's two ways we view this. Um, when we apply this in, under the New Testament. 
First is the understanding of collective weekly worship. Worshiping on the, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, which is something the early Christians did, is something that the church did. And something, something today is so foreign to the first century church, and it is, it is this. It's this idea. I didn't get much out of worship today. I don't know if, there, if there's anything that locks me up more than, than that phrase. It is not about you, selfie McSelferson. Get over yourself, really. It has never been about what you get out. It's about what you put into it. And the same is true with our individual, daily, personal worship, our lifestyle, our Monday through Saturday, if you will. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The world is all about the self. The kingdom, it's all about the Savior. If you find yourself saying, what I didn't get out, my guess is you didn't put anything in. And Abraham probably wouldn't say this because he's far too humble. My guess is he would say, how dare you approach the living God and have any thought of yourself. God forgive such selfish behavior. When you consider Sunday, Monday, all the way through Saturday, it's not about you. It's not your day, it's his day. It's not your family, it's his family. It's not your job, it's his job. It's not your home, it's his home. Live it like it's his, not yours. Abraham understood that Isaac was his to begin with, that Isaac was God's to begin with, and he gave him to Abraham and Sarah. May we, as such, treat our worship, whether collectively or individually, as something for him, not for us. And finally, Abraham trusted that God would provide. Behold the fire in the wood. Where is the lamb? It's a tough question. It's a real tough question from Abraham's perspective, answering to his only son. But he gives a prophetic and powerful answer. God himself will provide the lamb. Of course, we understand from our 2020 perspective that in that moment he was not talking about animals. Or if he was, he was prophetically speaking to the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. The lamb whom Isaiah spoke of, that he was oppressed, oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. The lamb of God, who according to John, in the midst of the throne, 
that eternal throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and the Lamb will be at the center. Abraham trusted in Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Abraham Abraham worshipped the provider, not the provision. May we do the same. It's easy to focus on the provision. It's easy to get hung up on the provision. It's easy to wonder if we have enough provision to last our life here on earth. It's easy to stay up late at night worrying about the provisions of our children and our grandchildren and what God's going to do. And may we, like Abraham, worship the provider and leave the provision to the Lord. If He has provided for you, and He has every one of us, then He has also entrusted you. Four simple lessons as we close. One, trust the provider, not the provision. The person of grace in the story was Isaac. He was God's unmerited gift to Abraham. And yet, even as great of a gift as he was, Abraham saw the true gift as his father in heaven. And he trusted him more than he did Isaac. Second, worship the Creator, not the creature. On Sunday, on Monday through Saturday, it's not about you. Everything that He has made for us, not only has He created, but He can recreate. The moment of grace in the story is in the Lamb that God would provide. Number three, act obediently. Do what He says. I know Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them. But isn't it so much easier to just talk about them with someone else who will give a sympathetic ear? Isn't gossip so much more fulfilling to the flesh? But see, that's not what he said to do. I, I know you know what he did, especially Sunday night crowd. Do what he said to do. Finally, have a here-I-am heart. Be willing, be able. Do what's right instead of worrying about being right. And um, if you want to take me up on the challenge, I pray that we'll seek holy interruptions this week. In fact, I'd like to pray for those, and if you're so bold, pray with me. Father in heaven, our lives are yours, a gift from you. Uh, every single breath we take, every beat of our heart, every single second you've allotted is a gift. It's yours, Father. We think that it's ours, but it's yours. So, Father, for those of us praying right now, we want to ask you for a holy interruption to what we think is our life. Wreck us completely, Father. And fulfill your purposes through us. I say through us, but we know it's going to be you that fulfills it. Our lives are your lives, Father. Our hearts are your hearts. Our hands are your hands. Our time is your time. Father, use it and interrupt us from ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tonight, if you do not know Christ, 
You need to know the Lamb of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, the son offered up by the Father on the mount, who is truly and totally sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, Now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me, so we can understand what God did. Taking up his son to the mountain and sacrificing him there. And knowing that he loves us because he did not withhold his son, his only son, from us. That son became a sacrifice so that we might have the opportunity to know him. If you don't know him, tonight I want to invite you to do that. And it's simple trusting faith, simply doing what he said to do, to repent, to trust him, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You can begin walking a journey that will absolutely wreck you. If you're ready to be wrecked, I'll meet you down front as together we stand and sing.